Welcome to the MM Health podcast. Uh, this is the first of a series of discussions we're going to hold on a number of gastrointestinal conditions that are encountered in routine community pharmacy practice. Today we're looking at dyspepsia or dyspepsia. We start off with the definition of the condition. So dyspepsia is a collection of symptoms including upper abdominal discomfort and pain, heartburn, acid reflux, with or without bloating, nausea and vomiting related to eating. It may be caused by non-ulcer dyspepsia and the diagnosis of this is made by endoscopy, may be caused by gastroesophageal reflux disease, peptic ulcer disease, which may be gastric or duodenal, or it might arise from a hiatus hernia. It is important to keep your eyes peeled when you encounter somebody with symptoms of dyspepsia in the pharmacy. So there are situations when referral is warranted. These are situations where you encounter somebody with gastrointestinal bleeding, swallowing difficulties, progressive intentional weight loss, persistent vomiting, iron deficiency, anemia, and epigastric mass or where somebody has had a suspicious barium meal. If they then come into the pharmacy asking for treatment for dyspepsia, you would refer such people. This highlights the need to be conscious about differential diagnosis. You need to rule out a number of conditions that present with symptoms that could be mistaken for dyspepsia. So these include cardiac pain, side effects of medicines, irritable bowel syndrome, motility disorders and biliary colic. So cardiac pain is frequently mistaken for dyspeptic pain and can be difficult to distinguish from dyspepsia. But however, pain traveling down the arm which is not relieved by antacid is one possible distinguishing symptom and you should consider accompanying symptoms such as the patient being pale, cold, clammy or having breathing difficulties. You need within the pharmacy setting to identify other medication that other medicines that are being taken in order to rule out an adverse effect from medicines such as NSAIDs, uh, anti-steroidal drugs, iron, biphosphonates or corticosteroids. This can cause uh, GI symptoms, sometimes erosion that presents as similar in a similar way to dyspeptic pain. Irritable bowel syndrome may also present with similar symptoms, especially accompanied by bloating, although there would usually be abnormal bowel habits reported. Motility disorders may also be a possibility as we said before, and this would require referral to the GP and biliary colic may also present as epigastric pain precipitated by eating. If there's any doubt about whether it's cardiac pain, 
refer the patient urgently to emergency 999 if required. The principal distinguishing feature between dyspeptic pain and cardiac pain is periodicity. That is whether it's related to eating or exercise and such things. Patients who report the first episode of dyspepsia at the age of 40 or over the age of 40 should be referred because of the possibility of gastric cancer. So you also need to be mindful about the age of the patient. And so now we can look at some treatment options for dyspepsia. Often we give simple antacids in for any pain that sounds like dyspepsia. There is limited evidence on the efficacy of antacids in the management of dyspepsia. However, symptomatic relief is often reported with the use of an antacid or alginate. They are best given when symptoms occur or when they are expected. So that would be after meals and at bedtime. They also remain in the stomach for longer at these times and therefore they have a longer period to act. Antacids should preferably not be taken at the same time as other drugs as they may impair absorption. Combination antacid products containing both magnesium and aluminum salts are less likely to cause gastroduodenal upset. Gastrointestinal upset. Uh, in contrast, when you give magnesium salts alone, this may cause diarrhea, while aluminum salts alone may cause constipation. Uh, we've spoken about alginates as a second option. So alginates taken in combination with an antacid increase the viscosity of stomach contents and can protect the esophageal mucosa from acid reflux. Some alginate containing, um, alginate containing preparations form a viscous gel or a raft that floats on the surface of the stomach contents, thereby reducing symptoms of reflux. The amount of additional ingredient or antacid in individual preparations varies widely, as does their sodium content, so that preparations may not be freely interchangeable. H2 antagonists such as ranitidine suppress acid secretion as a result of histamine H2 receptor blockade. The maximum single dose of ranitidine over the counter is 75 milligrams and this is not licensed for over-the-counter sale to children aged under 16 years or to patients who are pregnant or breastfeeding. We finally move on to proton pump inhibitors such as omeprazole, pantoprazole and isomeprazole. PPIs inhibit gastric acid secretion by blocking the hydrogen potassium adenosine triphosphatase enzyme system, also known as the proton pump, which is found in the gastric parietal cell. The evidence that we have for their effectiveness relates to their effectiveness at healing ulcers rather than in their relieving symptoms of uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Uh, this evidence shows that proton pumps are more effective at healing than H2 antagonists or antacids. 
the 2014 NICE guideline states that they can be used on demand to relieve symptoms as they occur. They are well-tolerated drugs with side effects reported as diarrhea, headaches, and dizziness. Omeprazole 10 mg tablets may be sold for short-term relief of reflux-like symptoms in adults aged over 18 years for a maximum of 4 weeks, whereas isomeprazole is licensed for adults aged 18 years and over for a maximum treatment period of 14 days. And so there are some practical tips that you need to give to patients who present with dyspepsia. If they are overweight, it is known that weight loss will help reduce symptoms. If they smoke, smoking cessation is also sensible advice to offer, which may reduce symptoms. Where they can identify trigger foods, they should avoid things like chocolate, alcohol, caffeine, rich, spicy or fatty foods. In order to help with uh, weight loss, yeah, all is that is available over the counter in the form of the drug ally. It reduces dietary fat absorption and can be sold to overweight adults above the age of 18 who have a BMI greater than 28 kilograms per square meter. The target is for an overall weight loss of 5-10% to 10 of the initial weight and this is achieved by restricting dietary fat and reducing calorie intake along with increasing physical activity while using Ally. Following a low fat diet while taking Olistat will reduce some of the nastier side effects of uh, Olistat such as flatulence or oily stools with or without spotting, sudden bowel movements and Stetoria. You can get more directions and more information on the sale of over-the-counter ally Olistat from the Royal Pharmaceutical Society website. And so you should have some form of treatment algorithm for dyspepsia. So we can identify what we refer to as emergency symptoms that need to be referred to the to 999. This is where there is possible cardiac pain and in this instance you'd also consider associated symptoms such as cold, uh, such as patient feeling cold or clammy or where there is a loss of consciousness you call 999 and arrange for an ambulance. If there are breathing difficulties or if the patient is vomiting blood or coffee ground vomit you would also refer to, you'd also call 999 straight away and call for an ambulance. If the patient presents with uh, black tarry stools, or uh, if there is abdominal pain radiating to the back, which could sometimes be suggestive of a possible aortic aneurysm, you would refer the patient straight to accident and emergency AND. If the patient presents with dysphagia that is difficulty in swallowing fluids and they are on saliva you would refer them urgently to the GP and if the GP is not available 
you'd refer them to out of our services urgently. Of course, uh, if the patient has excessive drooling and has an inability to swallow, you would treat that as an emergency and call 999, call an ambulance or send them straight to Andy. If they have nighttime waking with an, with acid in the throat, if they have unexplained weight loss, if they have medication-related adverse drug reactions and you've identified that during your consultation, or where there's been a failure of over-the-counter treatment, you would make a referral to the GP surgery. And uh, obviously, if they've not yet tried anything over the counter for the discomfort and there are none of the warning symptoms, you would follow the options that we've discussed before, which are related to self-care. And this ends our discussion. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to watch the associated slides, you can find the details in the podcast description. We have a Patreon page that you can go to and for a small donation, you'll be able to gain access to a range of additional resources. Check out the description, the location in our podcast description and visit us on Patreon. You can also get early access to forthcoming episodes as well as a shout out for your support. So we'll see you again next time.